No live organisms can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright. Bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. Dr. John Montague was a doctor of philosophy. He had taken his degree in anthropology, feeling obscurely that in this field he might come closest to his true vocation, the analysis of supernatural manifestations. He was scrupulous about the use of his title because, his investigations being so utterly unscientific, he hoped to borrow an air of respectability, even scholarly authority, from his education. It had cost him a good deal, in money and pride, since he was not a begging man, to rent Hill House for three months. But he expected absolutely to be compensated for his pains by the sensation following upon the publication of his definitive work on the causes and effects of psychic disturbances in a house commonly known as Haunted. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and you're listening to 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, September 24th, 2018, and tonight we're doing a little stop and chat with an old friend of the show, artist and synchromistic filmmaker Tim Murphy, with whom we connected on episodes 27, 57, and bonus 16 in 2014. Tim's video work at Esoteric Studios can be found on his YouTube channel, Index 6, to which we'll link. He's been busy this past year, uploading a couple new things recently. Tome of the Aeon, a stop-motion animation that came out in July, and a synchromistic composite character study of Lou Diamond Phillips entitled, Lou in the Sky with Diamond Phillips. When you watch Tome of the Aeon, I recommend headphones. It's been a while, Tim. How are you doing this evening? Pretty good. Pretty good, man. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. Boy, it really has been a while. 2014. I don't know where time goes. It does, it does pass, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I think that's the sync thread that I'm really digging into right now is the idea of time. Uh, do you have any sync threads that you're kind of pulling on these days? Uh, no, not anything particular. I'm kind of just, uh, you know, the things that you feel every day, you know, those uh, kind of mundane personal things that hit you kind of strong. Yeah, time time is a is an ever-pressing factor, I think, definitely. I can feel that one. <laughs> Speaking of time, how long did it take you to create Tome of the Aeon? Um... Not including like just uh, rolling things around in my mind and uh, kind of doing some kind of preconceptualization of it. Uh, I'd say about a year, but that wasn't full time. Just between other projects and whatnot, um, it uh, it it took uh, I'd say probably about a good seven to eight months of actually building the set and the puppet and everything. 
and then uh, doing the shooting and post production and editing and everything about a year or so. so yeah, um, it uh, it ate up a lot of time. I, <laughs> I started, uh, you know, I was building the set in my living room. It became sort of this uh, close encounters of the third kind. You know, the the wife was looking at me like, you know, Richard Dreyfus, like this is, this is a little much, you know. Well, so how big yeah. did it get? Are quite large. I, I, it took up half of half of my living room. I mean, it was it was so large. I had to get it out of a sliding door and take it out in the yard and basically bust it up when I was done. It, it was kind of sad to see it go, but yeah, got 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 out of hand to the point where I didn't. And I kind of had to stay where it was going to stay till it was done. So, so then, how tall was the the figure? And did you come to name this character? No, actually, I did not name him. Um, uh he was about five inches tall. So, um, and the, the whole process of stop motion was, was really new to me. Um, I, you know, had a little bit of, uh, kind of, uh, knowledge of it through just, you know, a little bit of study, but halfway through it, I decided I'm going to actually have to learn how to do this the right way. So I purchased a, a Stan Winston, uh, DVD, uh, set on it for uh, an actual, like a webinar type course for uh, stop motion. And, you know, doing that and getting halfway through it was, uh, was a point where I was like, you know, I think I can ignore some of these things that should have been, you know, <laughs> dealt with sooner, you know, tie downs for the feet and actually doing things to certain scale. So that was, uh, uh, you know, when I, when I actually learned what I was, what it was going to take, I kind of had to backtrack on a few things and it took me a little longer, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite a process, you know, um, the guy was, uh, I mean, the, the, the idea of what I was going to do, I, I wasn't sure. I think there was something inside of me that wanted to do it, you know, in the vein of like some of my favorite directors, like Alejandro Jodowski, um, you know, Kenneth Anger, you know, some Ken Russell in there too. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, after getting into it and actually seeing some of, uh, you know, I, I tried to hold off on watching any YouTube videos of anybody else's stop motion films and didn't want to be, you know, too inundated with other people's ideas and stuff, but it's really hard to, you know, in that kind of, you know, genre i mean anything by the brothers quay that you know you could think of like just has done everything you know like any little thing you can think you know like i'm gonna try this somebody's done it so you know i tried to not borrow anything from anyone too much but stay with what i knew i could do like that's why it became an organic environment instead of something more uh uh you know furnished like in a a, you know in a business setting or like an apartment or anything like that or any kind of like thing that was going to take a lot of crafting in my set so I thought something organic like a mountain would work and that kind of played well with like a holy mountain theme and, you know, a religious sort of connotation, lots of, um, uh, symbolism involving sort of uh, duality of coming together and understanding that as above, so below, like uniting. So, and try to kind of like put a little bit of a symbolism take on it and, you know, just some sort of a spiritual meaning to it and keeping him sort of like, in that cave at for, first was sort of claustrophobic, but it helped me deal with some, you know, like actual, like real problems I was having with how the set was going to be and background and everything. So keeping you in a enclosed space and then coming out into a larger one and staying within that whole space of, of the mountain. So just a little bit about it. But Initially, when you put it out, you were a little frustrated with, with the sound. Did you end up re-recording the sound later or... No, I, I decided to leave it. There's, there's something I didn't, you know, I should have, you know, like another thing that, you know, posed a problem is actually having a good, uh, 
stop motion software. I didn't go with Dragon Frame right away, and the software I was using was not the best, and I wasn't as familiar with it as I probably should have been to take on such a large project. But uh, uh, no, I think something along along the lines of like rendering and everything. There's a version that I per- I have personally that seems to be a little different than the one that's online, but I I kept it with uh, I kept it up. I went with it anyway, just sort of like letting those little magic things. I wasn't sure if I could actually capture again, so I just let the let it go as it was, moving on, kind of kind of a thing, <laughs> letting it be. Would this? It. I wonder if it isn't. If it's too close to reality, in that so there's there's so much ambient noise in the in the set, you know. So this kind of there's like it's almost water or airiness or you know there's this almost like white noise. Right. Okay. Um, is the way I perceived it. And so that kind of cancels out some of the, you know, so like there's a little bit of, with headphones, it sounds great. Like this is my impression is that you get the full spectrum of everything in headphones, but when you're watching it and it's competing with the white noise of your house, it definitely, it's harder to hear some of the, the elements, whether it's the internal monologue of the, the character or the, the dialogue between the, the snake? Sure. Yeah, I, I think I kind of left it maybe subtle like that. As also that I wasn't, I didn't really want to have an intentional dialogue. I, I really didn't want to have to, I felt I, I needed some explanation for why he wound up in this situation. Like, why is he in the cave? You know, so I, I felt that there needed to be something to move the story along slightly. But uh, the the dialogue was something I was I was hesitant in the beginning to do. So the fact that it is low in the mix, or maybe that someone would, if they were really interested in to hear, would have to put on headphones or turn it up and take the you know the real in- initiative to to hear what's being said. I, I felt that that didn't the fact that the the actual uh, dialogue wasn't in there didn't hurt it necessarily because it wasn't something I I'd even was sure I was going to do from the beginning. So. It's yeah. It's something. Yeah, it's more like a, you want a deeper reading the next time, and so then you put on the headphones and go in deeper into the soundtrack to see, you know, what other details you can glean. So the interesting thing for me is I've been um, reading a lot of pop science books in the last I don't know month, two months or so, pop science and magic and stuff, and um, it seems like the Plato's cave continually is arising in every single mm-hmm. book. And so I definitely felt that cave in, in that sort of way. Cause there is kind of this, the, the you know, this interplay of light on the figure bef- yes. before, before that, you know, he's introduced to the snake. Yes. I'm glad you, you picked up on it. That was actually something in my mind as well while creating that scene too. So that's, that's excellent. You picked up on that too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and that was supposed to be kind of an ambiguous kind of a light, maybe an otherworldly presence, a godlike, you know, sort of maybe an inner like thing saying, you know, I'm here to help you, you know, come on, get up, you can do it. There was also this UFO flavor too, just a touch of, yeah, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the whole end of uh, the, uh, the ascending after the, so the, the, the combination of, you know, the snake and and the man at the end would be, you know, so there's this sort of this solar ascended 
kind of aspect to it, but the cross also being like a, a solar, you know, representation of the actual sun being this, you know, heavenly body and the snake being earthly combining there on the cross too as well. And then ascending. So once he has become whole, then he can ascend and, you know, he's, you know, made that, that, you know, final thing of like, I don't need the duality anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm whole, I'm one. And then I ascend and then it he sort of ascends like maybe he is going home to this alien type presence, this God-like force. So yes, there's a total alien tinge in there as well. Yeah. A UFO abductee type of thing. Let's talk a little bit about process. So like the thing that I find really compelling about this is kind of the, the way it's edited together. So there's, there's animation, but there's also a lot of kind of like zooms and jump cuts. I don't, you know, in, in a way so that you can like feel tension. Like, so, sure. uh, did you have that in mind as you're doing it? Or was this definitely like various step processes where like, uh, you did a bunch of animation work thinking that you got what you needed. And then like you take off that hat and then sit at the computer with a different hat on and really start thinking about the story. Cause I almost felt like it was, uh, like some of the frames were like comic book like and how you were telling this story where, you know, we'd be like zoomed in on his face and then it would, you know, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I, I guess I did some test shooting in the very beginning and the actual scene where he's in the cave is, was quite difficult and not, you know, paying heed to, you know, or learning the process and truly how to, this is my first time doing this, you know, how to like get, get your hands in and when dealing with, uh, you know, moving those little increments of, of, you know, whatever pose you're putting in and having space to do that. And it's really crucial. And so I learned a lot while in that cave scene and it drove me crazy to the point where I had to reshoot multiple times and uh, just trying things out and seeing like in the moment, well, you know, I have, you know, I don't have much in the way of like experience and how to set up and cinematography and actually how to shoot and everything. But uh, just what I feel from watching movies and scenes, I can kind of put that up, that imagination into how the, the camera will focus and shoot and zoom in. So I was kind of creating those things in the moment and then seeing how they played out when editing and kind of a post setting. So it was really worked out on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the animation films that we see, they look like they're made out of clay, but I think, you know, they have lots of different, heads and bodies and things yeah. that they intermix to make it animate were you actually using one clay figure that you would change a little bit each time um, I, I did start off with clay and then dealt with the, the problem of constantly re-sculpting and taking on I mean honestly this was just something I wanted to see if I could do so learning more as I went and the, the problems that it posed I realized I was going to have to do something more, you know, longer lasting. So doing something like a, a latex foam rubber type of a puppet. I had a combination of uh, like an armature that was made of uh, different pieces of plastic and, you know, things super. I mean, it was just a hodgepodge of, of anything I could find. Uh, foam that was taken out of seat cushions wrapped around with uh, just a thread and, you know, dipped in uh, foam rubber to actually create more of a, you know, a, a bulk to it, but still be bendable. 
um, different things. Um, his face was actually made of sculpty and eyes that would actually be able to rotate in a socket um, that were made of small sculpty and uh, hair that was actually clay. So there was, it was a mixed medium for sure. Of, I just threw anything I could get together to actually make it work. Um, taking a lot longer, which the process already did, I would have actually built a full scale puppet, you know, probably more in the 12 inch to nine inch range of actually doing like wire armature and foam rubber and actually doing a really more set in stone kind of a sculpt that could take on the abuse of actually animating. But I was actually having to do surgery halfway through because, you know, you bend a, a joint so many times and without being you know, properly done, it'll break and stuff. So there was a lot, you know, I learned a lot while doing it as well. So, yeah, he, he was a mix of, of a lot of different different medium. But the snake was uh, mostly clay. I, I believe I had a little bit of a, a foam rubber and a wire armature inside of him, but his whole skin was clay. And the snake, my impression was that he was fun for you to animate. Yeah. Because <laughs> there, there, there was that. There's a joy to the snake all the time, but I mean, I suppose that's the character also. Sure. Yeah, it was. It was actually before. Uh, there was a happier vibe before you put the, you know, the the sound in and everything, and all the audio and the music comes in. It was a happier, interesting, like just showing uh, a few people the actual scene where he meets the snake. Originally, there's this humor to it that, without any of the impression of what's happening, it has a, a lighter you know, funnier feel to it. So that, and you know, it's like, well, shoot, should I go that direction? You know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I feel that there is a playfulness about the snake and, and there, yeah, absolutely. Now the thing I, I thought really added to it was the lighting, but I could also see how the lighting could be devil you because <laughs> I imagine that, a professional studio would do things all in the same conditions always you know it's not their living room right <laughs> lots of lots of chatter lots of light chatter absolutely for sure to the point where i tried to remedy it by having a, a sort of a thunderstorm atmosphere yeah. and sort of an ambient noise going on to help with that that light shifting when he's actually in the tree scene so that was that was a problem absolutely lighting for sure <laughs> it it wasn't, I mean, I've watched it a handful of times and I, it wasn't until the later times that I started sensing, I mean, I, I, my initial viewings were all thinking that everything was intentional. And so, mm. I mean, I, I think you did a good job with uh, dealing with the elements that you were kind of stuck with. Right, yeah. That's uh, that's something you know. Just you, you live and you learn. If I decide to do another project, it's, uh, it's you know you know the right steps to take and the conditions to create. And there there gets to be a point with a certain amount of like, you know, I, I want this to be done, and uh, you know this is a, a, something meant to be fun. And truly, it's a it was a personal thing I did for myself. You know, just to want to try to make a movie. You know, it's uh, it was, it's truly selfish, self-indulgent. 100%. So it was something I wanted to do for fun. So trying to be so crucial and critical of myself, you know, it's an, important to get a, an artistic expression out, you know, and stay true to it, but also to say I'm having fun here and, you know, this is going to be something that, you know, I'm experimenting with. So, Well, the sound of the music can really be taken 
together, but did you compose the music? No, I didn't. It was a lot of sampling from uh, just uh, synth artists that I know, taking little bits and pieces that weren't quite, you know, maybe recognizable. A little bit of distortion was added to it as well. So nothing, nothing was composed by myself. But, I mean, it ended up being composed because it seems like you layered, yeah. you layered things together, especially with kind of this, you know, some of the whisper, you know, thought dialogue. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that was tough to uh, decide whether you're going to use your own voice for something like that. And I felt a little, a little insecure about that. Like, I didn't really want my own voice being the character's voice. But, you know, when in a pinch, you're the only person there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, distort and whatnot. Doing something like this is so much work, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then... Be prepared. Yeah. Is, is there any way... So, like, in terms of it's done, is there any way it can be received that would be satisfying to you? Or... Do you know what I'm saying here? Uh, any way that it would be received by an audience? If yeah. It was... Yeah, changed or updated or improved no, upon. No, I'm just I'm um, just saying with all the work that you did, are you satisfied with with how it's been received, or do you want more people to see it, or do you even care? No, I yeah, I don't think I care. Um, if anybody watches it, it's really personal. It's really I'll go back and watch it and <laughs> enjoy it for a minute myself. But if nobody watches it, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I would like someone maybe to stumble upon it and have a a moment where they're like, what the, what, what's this, you know, bizarre, you know, maybe put back by it and maybe, you know, it would be fun if somebody would study maybe the symbolism, as you mentioned, Plato's allegory of the cave to, to bring something up like that. It, that, that means something to me. That's, that's personal. That's awesome. You know, if somebody got the hint or the nod that I was kind of going at that, that, that's cool. That's the reception I would like, you know, not views or, this is great, or you're so awesome, nothing like that. You know, just, oh, I wonder what he was thinking when he did that, or, ah, that makes me feel like that. That's a feeling that reminds me of this. So I've mentioned, uh, seen it to other people, and other people have mentioned certain things that I'm like, wow, totally what I was thinking. Awesome, I'm glad you noticed that. So that means the most. Hmm. Well, then speaking of other, like, big projects, did you happen to see Alan's film that came out? Yeah. Absolutely awesome, for sure. <laughs> Something like that is, uh, it's been in my mind sort of a, an, a, a, a project in a similar sense in that. So yes, I've seen it. It's haven't seen it recently, but awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Big, dark, kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, something that leaves you with a feeling. I mean, that's the kind of artwork that I tend to uh, enjoy. That, you know, it's like, oh, how could I explain this? Um, sometimes uh, I really like a singer-songwriter Towns Van Zandt, but my wife tends to think that the music is a bit melancholy. And he makes a statement in, uh, in an interview that he says, well, you know, blues is, is happy music, you know. Like, uh, it, it, there's something about it that's cathartic, but I really like moody settings and deep introspectiveness that when somebody really sets a mood with their piece of artwork and really takes me somewhere, that even if it's a dark kind of a foreboding kind of a thing or, a, you know, just a mind turning, you know, if you walk out of something, I walk out of a movie and you, you, you feel confused or what did I just see? Sometimes that to me is 
the most potent and something that leaves so many layers in depth that it, it you know, it, it lends itself to multiple viewings and you can keep taking from it each time you see it. That, that kind of artwork really moves me. I, I get the sense of that from Alan's movie. And that, that's awesome. That's, that's great artwork in my opinion. Yeah, I think my experience with it was that there's, I mean, it, you, it requires multiple viewing because it, there's so many different things that are uh, shouting for your attention that you end up missing so much. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. each time is a new viewing in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> you never step, lot to be gained. You, you never step in the same river twice because <laughs> you're different each time. Um I'm wondering. That's it's reminding me of. Are you are you watching Maniac? I bet you every sink head right now is watching Maniac on Netflix. Uh, I have not seen it. <laughs> well, and the thing about it is that I'm not far enough to know whether or not it's something that you watch once you you know solve the mystery and it's done forever, or if it's something that you would want to return to, you know, to see if you can't find other details or you know you want to inhabit that world so it's kind of interesting uh it's it's definitely um there's there's a mystery about it it's there's a curiosity that is kind of you know it's a synchronicity there's a pattern you know these people are looking for patterns and you wonder if it's going to say something larger about the idea of synchronicity connection simultaneity and meaning and I'm I'm hoping it does, but I don't know. I think it's by the same guy who had something to do with True Detective, so it might. Okay, I did enjoy the first True Detective very much, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun one. What, what, I mean, what was it about him that called to you? Yeah, I don't know. After working on a prior project with uh, with Will, actually doing a Mel Gibson video, the theme of flying and stuff had kind of been still start, sort of stuck with me. And it's something I had thought of for a while, just to play on his name. I don't know why. But uh, I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd noticed some uh, flying things with him, specifically being that he plays Richie Valance in La Bamba. And uh, he dies in a plane crash. And then in the movie Darkwind, he uh, comes upon a plane crash. And it's, it's very weird. So I, I just was like, you know, he's in the sky, you know, and the song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds just kind of plays well. Well, actually, in the research for that video, I found somebody's personal, it's like a, a short, uh, like, a, I don't want to say maybe about 15 minutes. And it's on YouTube, and you can see it. And it's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And it features Lou Diamond Phillips. And it's a small skit of a, of, of a guy who loses his girlfriend named Lucy. And Lou Diamond Phillips kind of you know, helps him get his head right sort of thing. And finding that just blew my mind when I was already going ahead with this title, unsure of where it was going to go, unsure of anything other than these two things that I could connect in a movie and finding that and then just using that as the springboard and taking that further as like mixing it to with, you know, an interview with John Lennon saying what the song is really about. And that, then everything else came from that. And then finding more of his movies where he plays sort of the shaman character or does uh, in the, the first Young Guns movie, he does Peyote. And he, there's this whole ceremony there that, that meshes so well with that. But then in, in La Bamba, he also goes to see like a, a medicine man healer. And there's this 
this implication where I thought, well, they don't specifically imply it and it's not seen, but maybe he did some sort of ceremony there as well. And it just, there's lots of those kind of moments with him and psychedelic drug kind of references. And I just said, well, that, there it is. There's the reference to the LSD, the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And it just, it came together after that. And I just started splicing these scenes and it, it was, it was something really fun that I, I enjoyed, but then I had to kind of step back for a minute because he does a movie called The First Power. And it's based on sort of a Richard Ramirez type night stalker, satanic serial killer. And there's these moments in that movie that played well with the darker aspects of a psychedelic journey that can go bad. And I sort of spaced the, the scene out where it kind of comes on. The, the, the movie starts getting stranger and I'm playing Lucy in the sky with diamonds backwards in, in the movie because it, it didn't go up on YouTube correctly. So my, my original version would have that song playing forward and reversed. And, uh, I wanted the, the forward song to sort of end right as the reverse song is, is beginning to kind of take up the space of the whole movie. So there's an actual audio track for a, the song playing through the entire thing, but I was only able to do one. So it's backwards the whole way, but the intention was to put this darker scene right when it starts to go backwards. And as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm getting ideas of these older kind of a Christian conspiracy movies like the hell's bells of rock and roll, or they sold their souls for rock and roll and just how they, they sort of like took pop culture and said, well, this is the, these demonic satanic entities bringing in like, you know, this new age of, you know, <laughs> Satan basically. And he, he basically, one of the, the pastors actually goes on this long spiel and this detailed, uh, argument of how the Beatles are basically a satanic band. So I thought, well, that's perfect. I'm going to put that in as well and use his narration and his thoughts. And then Crowley having a whole ideology about backwards, you know, learning to do things backwards, speaking, listening to phonograph records backwards. I said, that's that, you know, and everything just seemed to fall into place to where it took down this road of, uh, of, of a psychedelic journey, but with sort of like this, overtone of maybe a, a darkness coming so the, the film is in my my opinion a happy sort of you know whimsical look at it the way these strange things connect even john lennon being in it and the beatles like what what would this have anything to do with lou diamond phillips other than you could kind of arrange the his name so it just it went down this really bizarre road and I, I'm, I'm happy with it but it seems to take me down a new direction of something that I'm not sure if if a lot of people are going to like in the future. If I do continue to do sync films in the same manner, that they're probably going to have some darker elements to it. I feel something kind of strange coming soon. So this this is sort of the heralding of that. This this video is sort of my cutoff point of things are going to get weird now. So <laughs> probably a little more information that you were maybe looking for on that, but something that's kind of present with me right now being with, you know, the YouTube sensors and whatnot and creating a sync movie that actually can kind of go up the way I see it going up as a piece of artwork is very important to me. And to have a, a platform that's, that's sort of like YouTube that a lot of people will be able to view it and not maybe just people that are interested in sync or my work, but just your random person following the rabbit hole, clicking on, you know, related things will find something like that and it'll blow their mind. So YouTube is it's to me, it's still a big, important place to put 
my artwork on sort of like that. So I think uh, to have these kinds of videos done like this, I might go back to uh, maybe expressing sync and sort of just, you know, hey, look at this weird moment and document it like, you know, with a handheld camera or do a sync diary kind of a thing, something older like that. But I think my new artwork and sync style videos are going to head towards a more bizarre direction, maybe something unrecognizable in this video was sort of that, you know, maybe that, that, you know, warning of, you know, the friend that maybe took too much, you know, too much acid. Now he's a little strange, you know, things are going to only get stranger after this. So that's kind of where that video has taken me and a little bit of information behind it. So do you feel like John Lennon was lying or do you think he was being serious when he said, Mm -hmm. is his story genuine or not? You know, I guess, to like have an intuition or to be able to read people like that, I would say, yeah, he was, he was genuine. It seems to me to be a silly thing, but when you just read the lyrics, how could you not, uh, just listening to the song, it has a very, you know, a free association, you know, bizarre, something that, you know, maybe a, a disconnected mind would come up with in a psychedelic state. It's a very, you know, it's very depictive of a psychedelic experience. But. Yeah, but there is that whimsy of childhood too. So, right, uh, which yeah. are, I mean, they're very similar. Yes. Like consciousness at that stage. Well, the other interesting thing to me is that there is this kind of openness about consciousness. Um, I've been talking about it a bunch on my shows, but there's this book by Monka Paulin where instead of, um, you know, thinking about local food and, you know, edible mushrooms, he's doing psychedelic mushrooms now and exploring consciousness scientifically. And so, you know, he spent a lot of time on the history of LSD. And so, you know, this is really fascinating to me that, you know, this is kind of where you're landing also. Mm. It it seems like it's an interesting time that uh, science and you know psychedelics or entheogens, even though reality is shifting and heavy and almost quantum in nature, you know there it does feel like so like the idea that your video might get dark and crazy makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... I, I used to kind of be a bit of a promoter of the psychedelic experience, but I don't really think I recommend it. And I feel it to be sort of this, you know, the, the, the same things that, so I don't know if this makes sense kind of a off the, you know, a tangent here, but if you ever relate to a certain group, you know, or, a, you know, a certain subculture and you see yourself and that person, but then when you actually surround yourself with a certain kind of, person you feel it to be maybe you know uh i don't know like uh they're not really you they're they're not the person that you identified with they're sort of cliches of what they think that sort of person is and now no longer are you the person that can share an uh, interesting idea with someone that may not know you're already speaking with someone that does know and probably more than you or has a pretentious view of what you know so the, the psychedelic community as a whole, I don't know if I'd necessarily relate to, but for me, it's a personal experience and something I've used to uh, explore reality in my own consciousness. And it's, it's a part of my artwork, but I don't think that 
because I would do a video like this or have, you know, something like this. It's not that I'm trying to promote it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but just certain, I, I don't know if I, I really want to say that just because I've made, a, made something like this means I have deep thoughts on, on that as a whole, anything that somebody else has said that's more educated on the matter, you know, than I do, you know, that I am, you know, I don't know. <laughs> just, just a little disclaimer there that I'm not really trying to promote anything by doing something like that either. So I don't know. So the interesting thing about this book that I, I read last summer was that this is a really measured approach to something that is potentially dangerous. And so he's doing it from a more scientific mindset and treating it, you know, well, so some of the, uh, like the shamanic uses of psychedelics, it seems like that's handled with the proper respect that these substances should be handled with. And it's not a lifestyle. It might be like, you know, how often do you need to reassemble your entire psyche, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it's just, I guess the reason why it's interesting to me is because because it does seem like material has been privileged for so long. Like it, it is the the substance. Like it's the the part of life that we value. Whereas, you know, the the spiritual realm or this, you know, the all the weirdness that we revel in in our sync community is definitely not. So anything that just kind of opens the door two more is really exciting to me sure and absolutely in a in a in a controlled <laughs> in a controlled way sure I, I went a little reckless in my youth and now i i find more uh, an experience like that very seldom is needed you know you kind of hit the reset button here or there <laughs> but uh i think it uh it can get uh getting too deep into anything like that even the sink stuff itself oh yeah i think it can create someone to be a little bit you know once you've become callous to it you get a bit cynical and i think kind of you know having you know that your senses to be sensitive is is an important thing to be sensitive to uh to those those psychic vibrations if you want to call them that the sinks the the reality the nature of everything around you the matrix you know like if you could just see those ones and zeros in front of your eyes you know it, it would just make you go crazy. Like you have to actually, if you're, if you're constantly in that state, I think you have to be away from it for a while to be sensitive, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm also there to say, Hey man, let go of all restraint. Now is the time, you know, go crazy. I'm, I'm letting myself, I'm letting the hair down kind of a thing, man. I'm just showing who I am in my videos lately, letting, letting it all hang out, like just going going over I'm going over the edge on all this stuff man <laughs> so you know I just it I, I say that in the same breath I'd say you know you know it's good to be sensitive but you know if that's the road you're on man I'll, all I say is just you know I, I know some people that go too too far down certain avenues and they just there's no coming back and you lose sort of a, a sensitivity to everything you know you you begin to realize there's no point in even documenting or, or caring or 
you know, within the sync community, I felt there's sort of this loss of, you know, like, yeah, we can only chase our tails or talk about what sync is so much and who can't, you know, I can't sit and constantly, Oh, it's why this or something's happening, you know, or whatever. But as an art form, it stands alone. So if you're a creator, if you're a writer, a blogger, a video maker or an artist, you make sync collages, you know, I mean, this is an art form. And if you enjoy practicing your art, don't stop and don't get callous or cynical about it. If it's something you you enjoy, do it. That's that's a, a really important thing to me right now. You know, to, to say something like that is to encourage anybody. You know, if you notice a lot of art scenes and music in general, I know I know. I mean, the best thing I could compare it to is music because I used to be in a music scene for a while, and just the different personalities and how people react. That there's there's you know there's waves and generations. You know, if you look at just popular music in general, every ten years there's a a cycle of a new genre or a new style that things move out, you know, the old guard moves away and the new come in that, you know, I'll always be someone that creates art. I'm a dinosaur, you know, I'll do what I do if it makes me happy till the day I die, you know? So, um, just, if there's anybody new coming in, just to be there for somebody that's, you know, Hey, that's cool, man. Hey, you're doing this too. Now look at where this person has taken it. There's always going to be new people coming to evolve the scene as it is. So, you know, I just want to say that out to anybody who's listening that's a part of the same community or who is a creator of research or content that, you know, just, hey, man, if, if it's, it's what you do and you enjoy it, do it. If you don't anymore and it's not worth your time or if it's just something you move past, then that's cool too. But uh, I'll always be there for the people that want to talk about it and find interest in it, you know. It's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. You've been listening to Tim Murphy on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. Check out his videos at Index 6 on YouTube, to which we'll link. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. As currently all the SyncBook radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. If compelled, click on the support link at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks so much. And now climb the stairs and make your way to paradise. <laughs> awesome. One more
is a Where did love go? 